Welcome to Found, a Saddleback Church podcast from the Spiritual Growth Team. Now here are your hosts, Linda Tokar and Brandon Bathauer. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to our first episode of Found, a conversation at the intersection of Christian belief and culture, where we always aim to find Jesus in the way we think about and respond to our world. My name is Linda Tokar, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Brandon Bathauer. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Linda. So excited about this. I know. This is going to be so fun. We've worked on it for so long. <laughs> so just as we're getting started, I just wanted to kind of give our listeners a little bit of background on how we ended up here doing this podcast. Um we both have a passion for doctrine and for the truth and for God's word, but a lot of times in church, doctrine is kind of, it's a one-way conversation. You know, it's it's taught from the front and it's just accepted or rejected. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of exploring it. It's just kind of put out there and there's not, there's not a real way to look at it from different angles and talk about it. And so our idea was let's take it and slow down the process and explore it and look at it from different angles. Brandon, you had some great thoughts about how we were going to do that together. Yeah, I, I love that idea and that approach basically to say, hey, how do we bring our curiosity and mm-hmm. um, explore around some of these things? I think we learn so well when we are journeying towards something. You know, there's an old saying that says the things that you dig out of the ground are the things that are really a part of you more than the things that are just handed to you. When you have to earn it and Mm -hmm. fight for it and Mm -hmm. work through it, it truly becomes a part of you much more. And so that's kind of the the heartbeat behind this podcast that essentially what we want to do is take some topic, some phrase, some truth claim, something in Christian theology, and basically look at it from a few different perspectives. I, I, I find when you can grab the beauty of of the things that Jesus taught yeah. and the things that are at the the root of our of our belief it's almost like a beautiful diamond where you can kind of look at it from different mm-hmm. angles and as you do it it kind of shows the light in a different way and so what we're hoping to do is kind of triangulate like okay what would Jesus have to say about these claims that sometimes feel cold or disconnected from the person of Jesus, like, okay, how do these things, where would Jesus land in this? And the way we want to do that is something called the exercise. And so what what we want to do is basically take whatever that truth claim is and say, okay, first off, what what would our mainstream culture have to say about this? Whatever that topic is, whatever that phrase is. Um, If we kind of look at our mainstream culture and almost make a caricature of it and say, okay, this is um, this is kind of the culture we're in and the philosophical viewpoint would be X on that topic. And then we want to contrast that with something we're calling churchianity, <laughs> which if you imagine the religion and, and kind of the religious positions of like the Pharisees, um, kind of the, the culture that sometimes church can create on its own that's not necessarily connected to yeah. Jesus, but like yeah. <laughs> it's the church that people look at and go, I do not want to be a part of that. <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> exactly. So that's churchianity. And again, it, it'll be a character, but basically if we contrast mainstream culture to kind of the culture of churchianity, then hopefully what that does is it'll help us kind of triangulate. Okay. 
what would then Jesus have to say about this? And right. sometimes he'll be kind of in the middle on the spectrum. Sometimes he'll be really agreeing with one or the other. Sometimes he'll just be in a totally different right. plane. <laughs> he'll mic drop and say, nope, you both have it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's totally off. So, so that's kind of the exercise that we'll walk through. And hopefully what that will do is shape in us a way of living and seeing the world. It will allow us to kind of wrestle with these, uh, these theological truths in hopefully a different way. Yeah, and I think that sometimes people see sort of what the Bible talks about and these things as separate from the real world that they live in. It's like, yeah, okay, that worked <laughs> a long time ago, but it doesn't it doesn't relate to what I'm going through right now. It doesn't fit the context that I'm living in right now. This is 2022, you know, and so there's a lot that's different, but hopefully through these conversations we're able to contextualize and say, okay, this is how this looks today. This is, you know, the different views around it. And then hopefully as we narrow in, like you said, to triangulate on what Jesus would say, that'll help us as we seek to live out our faith in the context in which we're living today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the primary piece is we are all being shaped. We are all being discipled by some voices mm-hmm. or some voice. Mm-hmm. And if you're not examining those things and those voices that are shaping you, then I'm telling you, you're being shaped. Right. And so, It's not like you're not being shaped. <laughs> right. And so I think there's this viewpoint of like, well, I'm just hanging out and, you know, like I guess I could listen to some of what Jesus has to say. If you're just hanging out, the likelihood is you're being shaped by other voices, other philosophies and viewpoints. And hopefully as we kind of walk through this, you'll start to experience that to say, wow, I did not realize that I had been so influenced by that philosopher mm-hmm. or that thinker that I'd never even heard of simply because I was just kind of rolling down the river of life and just kind of accepting things as they came. Hopefully yeah, this will help you with that. Yeah. Well, you're, even as you're talking, I'm thinking about drift. I know you're a beach guy and I'm sure when you've been at the beach, you know, if you're not always looking at your point of reference, if you don't do anything, you're going to drift. And Mm -hmm. suddenly you're going to look back and where you thought you were is going to be way down the beach from where you are now. Yes. You have to be intentionally looking at and thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, what is influencing you, what is shaping you, and holding your position. Because if you don't hold your position, Mm -hmm. you'll drift. Yeah. Or if, in a different way, if you don't jump into the right current, you know, like you're going to drift in a direction you don't want to go. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, so So, good. So that's what we're doing. And today, we are going to be talking about the idea of truth. So we got to ask ourselves, how do we know what's true in the first place? What is the nature of truth? And how do we know when we've found it? Now, these aren't questions unique to Christianity. The world is asking them too. Truth seems Truth is seen as the moral high ground. It's the right. It's the good. In fact, many universities have plastered the phrase, the truth will set you free. They put it on their buildings and in their classrooms. They tout the power of truth. It liberates. It elevates. It creates opportunity. But here's the thing. The truth can only set you free if what you're calling truth is in fact true. Now, when Christians are talking about the truth, We're typically talking about something more significant than an accurate weather report or a factual account of what you're doing right now. We're talking about things that are true all the time for everyone, everywhere. It's something we call transcendent truth. Now, transcendent truths are those that are above culture or our personal histories. They can't be manipulated for our own purposes. They're outside our grasp. These truths are steady and unchanging and dependable. Ultimately, 
Transcendent truths are rooted in the nature and character of God, and they, like he, are timeless. Now, it wasn't a college president or a brilliant philosopher who first uttered the words, the truth will set you free. It was Jesus. And when he said it, it's clear he meant something entirely other than what you can learn at a university. You can find the context for his remark in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we're going to explore that passage in a little bit, but the, what, we're going to ask, what truth is Jesus talking about, and how does it set us free? But before we do that, we're going to work through the exercise that Brandon described. So, Brandon, let's dig in. All right, all right. So, we're going to, again, look at it from three different perspectives. So, this phrase, the truth sets you free. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of mainstream culture, uh, where I think the phrase gets bent into, my truth sets me free. Uh, Then we're going to look at it from the churchianity perspective, where I think the phrase is bent into saying, the truth makes me right. Mm -hmm. Where I think then we can look at what Jesus has to say, which is, I am the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're going to look at these three perspectives and let's jump in with mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. So the thing about mainstream culture is, man, we are often swimming in the water of culture without ever really looking, like getting a little glass and lifting up the water and seeing what's actually in it, right? It's, it, it's so easy for us to just function as members of our society without actually thinking about the, the deep philosophical views that kind of lay a foundation for our culture. And so uh, we're going to do a deep dive into some of these thinkers and uh, kind of their positions and how that plays out. See, in mainstream culture, again, the phrase would be, my truth sets me free. And you've probably heard that phrase, my mm-hmm, truth, mm-hmm. your truth. Right. Um, just be true to me. Mm-hmm. Even things like follow your heart is kind of in this, this world. And at the core of this is actually um, postmodern philosophy. So you had modern philosophy, the the Enlightenment, if we think about history, uh, was kind of this time, the, the modern movement was, wow, we can know things. Right. The, the world, we came out of the dark ages, and now, look, we can do equations, and we can figure out how fast that apple is going to fall right. to the earth. <laughs> if you put in the right numbers, and you get that equal sign, like, you can figure out these things. And that certainty about truth in the Enlightenment and modern period is why we were able to land on the moon and right. build these beautiful civilizations. And, you know, we could know, okay, well, this building could handle this much weight, so we can build a building that's 52 stories tall right. or whatever. Uh, that was all kind of Enlightenment certainty. Then in the early 1900s and up to about now, there have been some philosophers that have shown up called the postmodern philosophers. And their big question was kind of a challenge against that certainty to say, you know what, there isn't objective truth. There is no objective reality that we are all appealing to. Right. And maybe some postmodern philosophers would say, well, there may be, but we would never be able to know what that is. Their focus is on the lenses that we're looking at everything through. And so... The, the postmodern critique would say, look, claims of truth, um, 
that that is just the perspective. You're just not paying attention to the lenses that you're looking at the world through. When people train, claim that they have this ultimate truth that's above everybody else, all that really is is a, it's a power dynamic. Mm. And this shows up in people like um, John Francois Leotard and Jacques Derrida, um, a guy named uh, Michel uh, Foucault. Uh, really, at some of its root is uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche says... All things are subject to interpretation. Whichever interpretation prevails at a given time is a function of power and not truth. Wow. Right? So his claim here is that, look, everybody's got their different perspectives. There is no objective reality that we as humans appeal to. And so whatever story is winning out, whatever perspective is winning out, all that is, that's not truth. That's just power. That's the person who has the most power, the loudest voice, the most money. It's their perspective winning out. And so the postmoderns are pushing back against this, this view that there's ultimate truth, mm-hmm. saying, no, if you're going to claim a truth that applies to anyone else, that's just you trying to hold power over something else. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the only truth claim then that you can hold to is to say, Subjective truth. So if objective is something outside of me, then subjective truth is truth that comes from within me. Um, And what exactly that means, maybe like congruence with myself, like I'm kind of connected, all my pieces are, are aligned. And so the things I think and the things I believe and the things I act on are all at least in line with some deep um, truth that I experience just myself. But in that, again, in that perspective, truth just comes up and bubbles up from, from within. There's nothing outside. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the challenge here is that in that perspective, the idea is that I can only find my real self. If I can just follow my heart correctly, then I guess I will function. But what that often means is that I'm just living out my unobserved um, narratives, these traditions or viewpoints that were given to me. And I'm just like in, in following my heart, I'm just doing these things that are, I don't know, feel right to me sure. or something. Now so that's kind of the postmodern critique. And some of you may be saying, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> you might be like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Exactly. And, and for others, you may go, uh, that's a, that's a disaster in the making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Look, I think that there's actually some some good things here, some places where I think the postmodern critique is is helpful, right? That um, in one sense, I think it does name that oftentimes these claims of objective truth are kind of just one power group over another, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Linda, you were saying in this day right now, we're experiencing that a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, even as you were describing when you read the Nietzsche quote, it was like... <laughs> That sounds like culture right now, mm-hmm. where depending on who you listen to and who you give the power of influence to, what you believe to be true is completely different than the other group who gives power of influence to a completely different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And we can't even agree. It's not like we both agree on what's true and we have different opinions about it. We can't even agree anymore on what's true. And it makes it very confusing. It makes for a lot of, of discord in culture because... 
I mean, we could be sitting looking at the same facts, having completely different opinions about them. And it's caused, I mean, I think almost everybody has, I'm sure, a story over the last couple of years of how this view of truth being so subjective has been destructive. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's, I think there's some major relational challenges that I, I think we've all experienced in this, that if there's my truth and your truth, I guess on the positive, it's like, hey, we can all just kind of get along. You know, right. we don't have to be controversial. And if there's no other truth outside of us, I just have mine and you have yours, then, man, we can just, you know, I don't know, talk about sports and the weather and hopefully not disagree on anything else. And that's kind of it. Yeah, well, that works until your truth and my truth come into conflict with one another, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I have a car that I think is mine and I don't think anybody should take it, but your truth says that you should be able to take it, whose truth wins? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a power dynamic. Yeah, now it's a power dynamic. And then if there's nothing objective to appeal to, it is. It does come down to a power dynamic. It comes down to who says it louder, who says it more, you know, believably, and it's it. It gets messy. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges as well is that we end up. Um, we can't move a conversation really anywhere. No. Uh, in the in the postmodern position, uh, basically, it's all about the lens, not the thing we're trying to look at. So, if you imagine an eye. Draw this picture in your mind. You have like an eye looking at a lens, like through a lens at X. X would be some type of objective, something that we as humans can appeal to, can talk about, can work towards. The postmoderns would point everything at that lens and say, look, it's not about what you say. And I'm sure you've experienced this, that we've stopped listening to what claim people are actually making what we do is we think about the perspective that they're coming from. Like, okay, well, that's a millennial American point of view. And then you have over here the Gen X point of view. And then over here you have the... So everything is the kind of ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic um, position that you're coming from. And while it's super helpful to then say, okay, what... What is from your perspective? What can I learn from your perspective? Absolutely. The challenge with that is that we end up saying, well, uh, I'm going to stop listening to anything you're actually saying. I'm just going to be trying to think through the perspective by which you are saying it, which at its core is a logical fallacy. It's called the ad hominem argument where uh, if you can discredit the person who's saying something, you discredit the things that they, that they said, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily true. If somebody has said well, that car is red and, you know, but then you say, well, that person is colorblind. They wouldn't know if the car is red. Well, look, is the car red or not? Like, like just if they're, just because they're colorblind doesn't mean that they've missed, that they've said anything wrong. Sure. Um, sure. Sorry, Linda, I know you are colorblind. Yeah, right? that's so, true. <laughs> there it is. So, you know, the... At the core, I think what the problem is, is it's a deeply isolating point of view. Mm -hmm. So there's this word epistemology, which really means the way we know what we know. Right. So what is our source? What is the the well of water that we pull up that is our source of knowledge? Well, previously, if there's something beyond us, something transcendent, something that is... Uh, that is real, that is connected, and we are all somehow connected to that, 
um, then we have something to appeal to together. We have common ground. If we have right. a creator that's written something on our on all of our hearts that we know really what is right and what is not right, um, then we have something to appeal to together. But if all of that is wrong and it's just my point of view versus your point of view, then we have completely separate epistemologies. The way we know what we know, me, mine comes from me, Linda, yours comes from you, and right. now we have no common ground, nothing we can build on together towards something. And we are a community, we are a communal species. We are a people group that come together and build things together. We are meant to be together. Right. And so this philosophy, I think if you take it to its logical extreme, we end up being very isolated. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've experienced this in the the political tribalism of today. Sure. That, man, because it's like you're speaking two different languages, elephant and donkey, you know? <laughs> that, like, now we have two totally different vocabularies, and you can, again, look at the same situation and go, man, we're talking, we're talking past each other, and there's no chance for us to grow closer together or for us to take any ground. And that... That is heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think that's really outside of where God would want us to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the final bit is if, the, if all truth is just from within, then I have to spend my life anxious, fearful, chasing after some sense of like, okay, what do I believe about this? What do I feel about this? What are my desires about this? And it's, it's, it's honestly a tyranny of the self. Because you are like your own tyrant. You have to just do what you feel or say or believe. Um, you are essentially just on your own. Uh, so isolated, but also you have to be kind of your own tyrant. You just have to fulfill whatever desires um, or perspectives that just bubble up. And gosh, the result of that, I think, is something we see a lot in our society today, which is anxiety. Mm-hmm how do I make the decisions that I need to make? Right. Absent any type of standard or any type of objective, there's nothing to lean on. Right. It's simply like maybe what community perspective am I going to buy into? Mm-hmm. I think depression. Sure. Um, this thing of like, well, I've chased my heart. I've followed my heart and done whatever desires were beneath me, you know, are just like in my gut and my life is kind of falling apart as a result. Um, but I also think... If you are your own source of truth and you're telling yourself lies, I'm no good. Mm. I've exhausted every option and I'm never going to achieve what I set out to achieve. If you're your own source of truth and there's nothing to counter that, then that's all you hear. Mm-hmm. That's, the only <laughs> that's the only input you have and no one can counter that because it's your truth. Right. So yeah, depression mm-hmm. and some of the self-harm and the things that you, you're seeing... If there's nothing to counter the story you're telling yourself, that's dangerous. Yeah, and, and, you know, you think about the chance for somebody to walk alongside and say something, you know, mentorship and development of people and all of that kind of breaks down because even me as a parent, what can I do for a two-year-old? Like, do I just say, well, whatever you desire and whatever <laughs> you want, just do it. And my job is just to clear the obstacles. Or do my wife and I think, okay, Let's appeal to who we are meant to be as humans. And there is something beyond us that we can appeal to. Obviously, f- for us, it would be, okay, what is what has God laid out for us as the picture of thriving life? But 
how can we appeal to that in a way that now we have a, a road in front of us to help walk our, our daughter and help her grow mm-hmm. um, rather than like, well, you're on your own journey and kind of go, hopefully it ends up in something <laughs> that makes you happy. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> again, the end goal that like everything is just about my own happiness. Again, that is a way that, you know, you've probably been over influenced mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. by this mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, the Bible anticipated our tendency to sort of try to own truth <laughs> and to, to be the master of our own fate and the director of our own journey. Um, and in Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Now, again, let's just preface this by saying this is a proverb. That doesn't mean that it's, this is a general statement of wisdom. It's not an always true all the time in every situation. You could think something's right and it could be right. But you could also think something's right, and that could be a function of a whole lot of other things. It could, be, it could be misguided. It could reflect your own personal whims or desires or wishes. It could reflect what you were taught. I mean, it might be what you think, but it may not be true. And to the way the proverb says it, it could end in death. In other words, ourselves as our own source of truth is not, <laughs> it's not a good bar. Um, But the other thing is that, you know, we started with this phrase, the truth will set you free, but the truth can only set you free if it's true. And most of us have blind spots, believers and not. Most of us have blind spots in what we see and what we we understand. These are places where we think we see clearly, but we just don't. The Apostle Paul actually wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 12, he says, now we see as in a glass darkly but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even also as I am known. So so good. Yeah, I mean, and he's even saying like, we don't see clearly all the time. Like it's not 100% clear all the time. Yeah, so like if, if you are leaning towards post-modernity and maybe are slightly over-influenced by post-modernity, uh, let's just say real quick, there is some real good in the postmodern critique and largely it's in this passage that's saying, look, we, we see as if through a glass darkly. Um, we don't have perfectly clear lenses. Right. We are looking and we have blind spots and things are fuzzy and we can't claim to have ultimate knowledge of all truth. Um, we can't claim to have ultimate, like we own truth. We can't say that. Right. And scripture here, Paul, would absolutely agree with that. Um, the challenge is is the rest of that passage. If, if a postmodern is going to say, there's no truth on the other side of that lens. Um, well, that's where Paul would say, no, there is truth on the other side of right. that lens. Right. Um, there is an objective reality on the other side of that lens. And he's got, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But the, um, the postmoderns are right in the sense that we are looking through a fuzzy lens. Like imagine glasses that are all smudged up with a bunch of stuff you know like that's what we're seeing through because of our sin because of our brokenness because mm-hmm. of our limitation mm-hmm. um so the postmoderns get it right there and you know if you're feeling like i know everything and i can see everything <laughs> clearly just as it is maybe you gotta spend some time with some of the uh postmoderns and let them kind of make you go mm, maybe i'm not as <laughs> sure maybe i should be a bit more humble in this um but gosh, the place of huge departure from scripture in the postmodern critique is to say, well, I'm not even going to 
appeal to an objective. It may be there, it may not. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to focus on my own lens. That's all I'm going to focus on. Like, Scripture would say, no. If yeah. you're just focusing on your own lens, you're focusing on yourself, which is this slow shift just towards really destruction and emptiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. How's that feel? That feels awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in this philosophy, right, uh, my truth sets me free. Truly, I think what that, what the real conclusion of that is, is that my truth chains me and mm-hmm. isolates me. Mm-hmm. If all you're chasing is your own truth and it's not tied to something grander than you, something that transcends, you're going to end up chained up to your own desires kind of a tyrant of yourself, and you're going to end up super, super alone, disconnected from anyone else, not being able to really have common ground with anyone else. And that is not what God designed us for. (laughs) So uh, let's move on to the next one. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so that's mainstream culture. And man, you may be like, yep, totally in that. Or you may be thinking, they got it totally wrong. I totally understand the right way. Well, you may be part of what we're going to call <laughs> churchianity. <laughs> Again, churchianity, imagine the religiosity, judgmentalism, the closed-mindedness maybe of the Pharisees and kind of take that into a modern moment. You know, we you maybe experienced something like that in a church setting at some point. Um, that's what we're talking about. Again, mm-hmm. a, a caricature just to help us kind of um, kind of hold these things in contrast. So, if mainstream culture would say my truth sets me free, churchianity I think would say the truth makes me right, and all yeah. that truth does is about making me right. Now, in this viewpoint, truth is super important as it's something that we can hold on to. If we can just hold on to the correct doctrine, the right side of things, it will help us in not being wrong. Mm -hmm. That truth in this viewpoint is like a separate set of positions and opinions and dogmas and interpretations, like these statements that I can hold on to. Right. And that is what will make me right and you wrong and hopefully will help me in this topsy-turvy, super confusing world. Now, this is a philosophy that if I can only know the right things, if I can give mental assent to the right kind of statements of truth, certain propositional truths, that the right kind of life will follow. So if you're holding on to something wrong then my job is to convince you that you're wrong so that you kind of shift your mental ascent and say, I don't believe that anymore. I now hold to this set of truths. Uh, You can see the benefit of that. You can also hopefully see a little bit of the challenge to that. See, in this quickly shifting, quickly secularized world, truth feels like an anchor, right, in this storm. A set of principles to hold to, to not get lost or swept down a river. Uh, In this way, it's something static. It's kind of an on and off switch. Do you have it or do you not have it? It's not something to chase or grow in. It's just like, do I have it? Do I not? And in this perspective, if you don't have truth, it's, it's really, it's your fault. 
it's probably because you're either stupid or <laughs> or evil. Uh, that's the reason that you don't have truth because it's obvious. It's right there. You can easily grab it. It's just totally obvious. I think there are claims here of like timeless truth, you know, in this uh, in this churchianity perspective. But I think sometimes those timeless truths were truths that were developed at one time as people wrestled with the context that they were living in and they were listening to God's word and studying it and saying, how do I contextualize what God is saying for now? But then that gets calcified. Sure like 100 years ago or 150 years ago. Now it just feels like kind of a bureaucratic reality of stuff we have to do that is not exciting, doesn't necessarily lead to life, but it's kind of a set of rules that like, well, I guess these are the rules. I don't understand why, but just do them. Well, and I think that that the contextualization that happens and the, you know, the things that get built around the, the core of truth, then they get passed on as the truth. Mm. And so, I mean... That was one of the problems that early missionaries had, right? Is that they brought the truth and then they brought a culture to go with that truth. That yes. wasn't actually the gospel. Right. <laughs> that was a different thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was so t- attached together that they weren't able to separate those. So when they brought the gospel, they brought the gospel and a Western way of living. Right. Which was not actually the gospel. Right. And so, and even today, a lot of times when we, talk about truth we talk about it contextualized to the way we've been taught it the way we understand it what makes sense to us or how we've been how we've lived it up to a point and it but in all fairness to this view i i know just because as we get into the dialogue i i grew up feeling this way like if i knew the right things and did the right things then my life should look the right way Mm. and so it's not it's not so far-fetched to figure out how you would end up in this place but it, it has some challenges that come with it, for sure. Yeah. Like you said, this previous view, I think it can be really dangerous. Um, I think there are beauties in it, but absolutely. So, like, the good thing, again, is that truth is stable in an unstable time. It, it is, in some ways, a, um, a pressing against the postmodern kind of uncertainty about everything sure. and saying, no, there is certainty, and we have it. Um, and I do think truth does show up in positions and in doctrines and in our cognitive kind of assent to certain ideas. But I don't think it's only where truth shows up, and we'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the problems, um, in one sense, is that when you claim, okay, I know the truth, and this truth has a claim on everyone else, well, then I can easily become the... Um, the judge and jury Mm. and truth can become this kind of beating stick to just like knock out other people. And, uh, and I think that's a huge, huge problem. We, when people are afraid of truth because truth hurts them Mm -hmm. and gives one group power over the other, um, you know, again, I think the postmoderns name that well. And I think that is a little bit of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another challenge here is that Truth is not something to be sought after. It, it kind of squashes curiosity and discovery and growth because it's kind of an on-off switch. You're either, you've either believed these things or you don't. It's kind of an accept or deny thing. Like, here's the statement, accept it or deny it. And you look at Jesus and you're like, man, he spent so much of his teaching telling stories and parables. Right. Like, 
He could have just walked around with propositional truths and said, here's the statement, accept it or deny it, and then move on. But there seems to be something, something much grander going on here with truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think truth in this point of view is, it's impersonal. It's graceless. Yeah. You know, you, you're only in if you play by my set of rules. And, and that builds tribalism in so many ways that, again, it's this, this set of rules that, man, these are the rules and you better follow them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, Linda, we kind of wrap up truth with our own stuff. And again, we're back to kind of a my truth thing. Right. Um, but with a different label slapped on it. Exactly. Uh, I, look, I think about my, my five-year-old boy who will make these games and say, okay, here are all the rules. And then the rules keep kind of changing to benefit him. So he keeps winning. <laughs> and like, this is, I think sometimes how this, how this works, that the rules that are set, um, if they're not examined very carefully under the light of Jesus, I think they end up being something that benefits those who are in power and mm-hmm. who are leading and the ones that are on the in crowd and kind of, um, it, it hurts those who are on the out crowd. For sure, for sure. So, you know, this this live by the rules and that will make me right, this isn't new. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about it in the context of churchianity, but Jesus dealt with it yes. quite a bit. Yep. Um, there was a group, There was a, they were religious leaders called the Pharisees, and they were passionately committed to living out the letter of the law, so much so that they took the Ten Commandments that God gave them and added about 600 more. <laughs> and then they, they not only tried to live those out, but they were very, very hard on anybody who didn't. Um, and Jesus called them out multiple times. The only place in Scripture where you really see Jesus call people out is this kind of religious pride. And this religious, like, I'm right, and I'm doing it right, and you're doing it wrong. Um, One of the first examples is in Luke 11. And to kind of counter this idea that I'll have the truth, and the truth will make me right, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's making the point that they know all the rules, and their lives look really put together, but it hasn't made them right in the way that matters most. He says, this is Luke eleven forty four. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs that people walk over without even knowing it. So that's, I mean, we may go, oh, okay, that's weird. But in Jewish culture, that's a huge insult because a tomb is unclean. It's full of dead men's bones. And if you touch it, now you're unclean. I mean, it's a big, big deal. So a whitewashed tomb is one that's been spiffed up to look good on the outside, but it's still unclean. It's still not right. Mm. And so Jesus is like, yeah, you have the truth, (laughs) but it has not made you right. And then in another instance, in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the crowd about the Pharisees again. And in verse 4, he says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So this is another sort of aspect of sort of this churchianity thing is that of lording over and expecting people to live up to the standard that you've set. See, Jesus is calling them out that for they are insisting that other people follow the rules just like they do, 
But he's also making the point about their own practice. He's saying that they may have judged themselves excellent at keeping all the rules, but Jesus can see that they didn't even live up to their own standards. And that's so true. Often, those who believe the truth makes me right, those who hold that view, they hold others to standards that they don't and can't even keep themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that speaks to motive, right? right? So if the motive is when you're going to get into a discussion with somebody Mm -hmm. and it becomes an argument and what is your goal in it is to prove them wrong and prove you right. Right. Like it's not to help them see the light. It's not to help that person step into thriving. It's, I just want to prove you wrong. And look, I have the right point of view and you don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. this ownership thing. It's a viewpoint that I can own the truth. You know, scripture would talk about appealing to truth, to seeking sure. out truth. But the idea that I can own it, it's in my pocket and I can beat you with it is something that I think is just so far away from um, from love. There's there's no love in it. And oh, for sure. I've said, you know, if, if there's no love in it, then there's no God in it. Mm-hmm. And if there's no God in it, then it's not truth. So I don't know what it is that we're playing with here in this in this setting, but uh, it, it ain't truth um, because it has no love. Sure. And going back to um, our passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12, that idea of seeing through the glass darkly, people who hold to this view that the truth makes me right, they, <laughs> they don't see any darkly in the glass. They believe that they have seen clearly, that they have the truth and that they have the right version of it. And now they want to have you align yourselves with them And they see, so there's no humility. You know, Mm -hmm. when I think about 1 Corinthians 13, 12, the way that that speaks to me is it says, look, you don't see 100% clearly on 100% of the issues 100% of the time. Like Mm -hmm. you just don't and you can't and you won't. Mm -hmm. So that tells me I need to be humble and I need to engage with humility. But the people who say, well, I've got the truth and the truth makes me right. There's none of that humility. It's just like, no, I'm right. And I'm going to bring you to my Mm -hmm. view. Yeah, and look, if, you, uh, if you're listening to this and you um, are not quite a follower of Jesus, um, or you're kind of exploring, you may be saying, yeah, that's like most Christians that I know. Sure. Because it's like they are certain they have the right doctrine, they're certain that they have the right everything, and that they know everything, and again, that I'm dumb or evil for, right. for not holding these things. And, and I, I think absolutely when we go to Scripture and we hear how Jesus challenges these Pharisees, and we hear how Paul then says, look, there is something about the humility. We can hold, we can hold to Jesus as the Savior of the world. We can listen to what he has to say. You know, in, in John 8, when, when this passage shows up, you see Jesus continually appealing to the Father as the source mm-hmm. of truth, that even the Son of God is appealing. And so there's something in that humble position that we can come at, but I don't know, in a lot of these uh, debates and apologetics debates, it, it seems like it's very much coming out of this sphere where it's kind of like, I got the right answer and you're just wrong and yeah. my job is to prove you wrong and then many will come to Jesus with <laughs> joy. No, they won't. <laughs> no. They'll leave and say, I don't want to be anything like that per- right. person, you know? Right. Um, and so really I think the conclusion of this view is not that the truth sets you free, it's that it helps you chain up others. Mm. It, it's mm. devoid of love. It's um, it's a set of chains, and so let's uh, let's now move on.
Okay, so we've got very, very clearly, we've got mainstream culture. My truth sets me free. And we say, no, it actually results in isolation and really kind of having to be a tyrant of yourself. Then uh, on the other side, you have um, the truth makes me right. And we say, no, it doesn't actually make you right. It actually <laughs> devo- like sucks love and joy out of you and ends up, you just kind of use it as a tool to, to chain up others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's now triangulate and say, all right, how would Jesus respond to this claim? So yeah, so let's revisit the passage I read at the beginning. And then I want to tie it to a second passage that's going to help us see what Jesus was talking about. So the first passage I read back at the beginning was John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, which is for a refresher. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, a few chapters later, Jesus returns to this idea of the truth, and he makes an incredible claim. In John 14, 6, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has just changed the whole game. Because now no longer are we talking about truth as something as static and impersonal and fixed and a list of rules and, and do's and don'ts. Now we're talking about a person. Yeah, so beautiful. And this is, this is why I love holding these things in contrast because you get to see how revolutionary and freeing Jesus is in the typical back and forth debates of our world and these tendencies of of kind of human practice, Jesus just comes in and gives us a word, a perspective that sets us free from this back and forth that we live in. In Yeah, in Jesus, this is a rela- relational reality. Mm-hmm. That truth is a relational reality that is rooted in the hesed love of, of Jesus and, and the end goal that comes from that. Hesed being this Hebrew perspective of, of love being the committed love, loving kindness, covenantal love, the, the love that doesn't quit. Mm-hmm. And, and that type of love where Jesus says, look, I, I'm about you, I'm for your good, that, out of that comes truth. Mm. So, like, if you imagine, again, in, in mainstream culture, if truth is kind of my feelings, uh, looking at my lenses, and if it's inflexible dogmas in churchianity, truth is the presence of God and the fulfillment of his design wow. um, in Jesus' point of view. This is the beauty of, of going back to 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Notice what Paul does here. So he says, For now we see as if through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Mm. Now I know in part. And when us modern Western thinkers see the word know, what I think about is cognitive kind of knowledge, the cognitive assent to a set of principles or something. But then look at how he changes this. He says, for now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So you see what he does there? He, He takes it from being a cognitive thing to a relational thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in, in Spanish, uh, the, the word ser versus conocer. It's going back to my high school Spanish classes. Bring it. <laughs> uh, 
Professor Pablo, I hope you're listening. Anyway, um, this this idea that Sayer is like, okay, I know how to do these things. Sure. I know these these principles. But Kono Sayer is, I am now in relationship. I am known by someone, and I know someone. Do you see how that shifts? Sure. And that's what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, we see as if through glass darkly, but then, look, there is something on the other side of that glass, and it's his face. And although we know and are in relationship with him in part now, there will be a time when God makes all things right that we will know him fully the way we are right now fully known, which is just a mind-blowing, beautiful reality. Now, in this viewpoint, here's the thing. Truth is guidance. It's wisdom. It's something to practice and develop. It's a muscle to train. It's an ever-expanding world of beauty that you get to live into. So if you think about um, in, in Proverbs, the wisdom is mm-hmm. personified as someone calling out in the streets, and it's this yeah. playful, joyful, um, curious thing. It's not this cold, okay, this is this principle and you either pick it up or drop it. It's something that you're in relationship with. And I think when scripture talks about truth, it's that. It's that type of thing. It's it's us stepping into the way God designed us to live. And the beautiful thing about that is if we hold to this perspective of truth, one that has love in it and at at its root is built in a relationship with the loving God, then for others who say, look, I'm, I know I'm loved by God and I'm functioning from that reality as well, then truth is embraced as a corrective, redemptive reality to make things good. Not just right, but mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. The beauty of the good. Like when I'm in that moment of pain, I've messed up, I've done something that's outside of God's design. Somebody shows up and says, Brandon, look, I love you and I want you to know you blew it there, and you're stepping away from how God designed you. And, you know, because I'm sinful, I'll first say, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, let's just keep it real. Yeah, but then, like, after a couple of days or something, like, if I buy into this way of understanding truth, then the beauty of the good on the other side mm-hmm. is so beautiful and good that I want to go through the pain of growing to step into it. And when I'm in a loving relationship with anyone else and I can say, look, like, here's what Jesus has to say about this. It's not coming from a place of judgment. It's not coming from a place of damnation. It's coming from a place of, I love you. And I want you to step into the thriving life God has for you. Sure. And, and that's beautiful because now sharing truth is an act of love, mm. not as an act of judgment. Now, it also, I think it creates this sense of like, uh, again, I want to seek out truth because it will result in abundance and shalom, all things being made right, right? It may cost me everything, like a pearl of great price, but like I want to chase after it because I believe that God's way of doing things uh, and the relationship with him, that is truth and I want to step more into it. Now, I'm hoping you're getting a sense of how personal and relational this way of truth is. It's filled with love, and it will change not just my cognitive life of I I assent to this or this, 
but it will shape me. It'll shape my actions, sure. my behaviors, my beliefs, every aspect of that. Well, and I think even as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, somebody might be thinking, yeah, but I still need to know what to do. What is the right thing to do? And it turns out that the right thing to do is to draw close to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And as we spend time with him, do you know what I mean? Then he guides us. The Holy Spirit, the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will, will guide us and, and direct us and give us wisdom. And so sometimes we're looking for just a sentence on a page. Just tell me what to do and I'm going to go do it. Right. And Jesus is like, come to me. Right. And that's just such a different way to think about, not that there aren't things that are true, but the way that we use and think about truth and the way that we pursue truth isn't to pursue this list of facts. It's to pursue relationship with Jesus. And then the things that he has said, or the things, you know, the things that he has affirmed and the things that he has said, yeah, you want to stay away from that. They're not do's and don'ts to confine and restrain and and make us miserable. They're, hey, I love you. And as you walk with me, you're going to see that yeah, the things I've told you are good. They're good for reasons like you couldn't even imagine. And mm. the things that I've told you to avoid, you might not be able to understand why right now, but trust me on this. Mm-hmm. And the love relationship will allow us to then by faith go, okay. Yeah, yeah, it I takes get it. time. Exactly. It's not easy. <laughs> well, look at what Jesus did with so many of the rules that were kind of um, handed down to the people in first century Judea. What did he say? He said, You've heard it said, but I say to you. Right. <laughs> the thing is, if we could just have principles written on a piece of paper somewhere that I could just go to and it would always work for all time everywhere, I wouldn't need a relationship with Jesus. Right. I wouldn't need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I right. wouldn't need to go regularly to his word. I could just take those things, put it up on a clipboard somewhere that I could keep looking at and basically go on with the rest of my life. That is the exact heart that I think Jesus was challenging in the Pharisees, mm-hmm. is that the Pharisees didn't need God. They no, just, because they could keep the rules. They just got the rules from God, and that's what I'm going to do. Rather than seeing those rules, the Ten Commandments, for example, to say this is what a thriving life in relationship with God looks like. This is what a God-formed people look like. They don't kill each other. They don't <laughs> lie. They don't cheat. Right. Like, but we go into, okay, well, I got the rules. Great. I'm just going to go walk through this. And again, we do it devoid of love and devoid of God. And so I, I hope that this has given you a little bit of um, a, a sense that when you, when you step into this way of understanding truth, the truth does set you free. Yeah. And you will be free indeed um, in this freedom because Jesus can now come alongside you and you can come alongside him and the guidance of the spirit and the father. You can say, look, I'm, I'm functioning in love. And, and now I don't feel like, all right, I, I got these 17 principles that I got to follow. You get to go to him and say, Jesus, what type of life do you want me to live? Yeah. And then as I'm sharing truth with others, hopefully it'll be in a way that again, comes out of love. And when people hear that, They'll go, man, I want, I want that. I want right. that perspective on mm-hmm. the world. I want mm-hmm. that way of life. I want that experience of love. I, I want that truth. So let's then think, like, where do we go from here? Sure. If we're thinking about what, how does our life get shaped by this? You know, what are some suggestions as we walk forward from here, um, from from listening to this.
So we got a couple of suggestions here. Yeah. Uh, again, not just necessarily like application points, but more like how does this shape how I live? Sure. Um, I, I think next time you hear someone say my truth, think about what that claim actually is stating. And somebody says, well, I'm just doing my truth. Ask yourself and then maybe ask and try to find with them where you can find some common ground that would shift from my truth to our truth. Yeah. Because there is an objective reality that transcends just my socio-cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. And while we should name those things, and there's so much beauty that can come in me listening to what your socio-cultural economic perspective brings, where can we start building something on our truth, something that transcends just our perspectives sure. and actually moves to something that would say, let's agree on maybe who we are meant to be as human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And hopefully what that will do is kind of challenge these, uh, these postmodern critiques that result in just, I've got my own little world. And hopefully what that will do for the other person who may start experiencing more and more isolation is that you've now built a bridge of community on something that is grander than you or that person alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing to think about might be, you know, next time you find yourself angry or frustrated at somebody for not following the rules, you know, you know what's right and they're not doing it. <laughs> Flip the script and see what a loving perspective for the person will result in. Um, you know, if you look at the stories of Jesus, apart from the Pharisees, I think specifically of the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, especially the woman caught in adultery. When she was brought before Jesus, like he didn't articulate her sin. He didn't explain to her what she had done wrong and which things she had violated. He, he loved her. And she was so transformed by that that all he had to say after that was go and sin no more. Like he didn't have to, you know, explain what she did wrong, tell her what she should have done instead. Like he didn't do that. And so take a cue from Jesus. And when somebody, when you see somebody who's clearly doing the wrong thing, think about how you can love them and how you can show them that love of God that he has for them, that he never, you know, you mentioned the word has said community. Part of that has said love is that it's that joy to be with you. Give them that and love them and then encourage them in a new direction. You don't have to lay out the rules and, <laughs> you know, beat them over the head with it. Yeah. So like, for example, I, I think back to um, some of my college days mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I'd have a bunch of friends that were just like big into the party scene and kind of, you know, chasing whatever desires that were showing up. And I remember feeling anger towards them. And, you know, again, anger is a result of kind of the churchianity perspective. Sure. Um, and so I would feel anger and I started to ask myself, why do I feel anger? And it's because secretly I wanted to do what they were doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so like, but I was this sad guy over here who had to follow these rules that I don't understand why I should follow them. Now, what a loving perspective would say, would say, gosh, man, what happens often in that party scene is you have to lose your identity. You have to just become whatever the group wants you to be. And um, gosh, it's a really empty way of living, actually. And so what was shaped in me then, as I kind of slowed down and asked myself, why am I feeling angry <laughs> towards that person? Yeah. Is I realized, oh, 
actually a loving perspective would be to experience sympathy or empathy for this person who feels like they have to lose themselves and give themselves up for acceptance. Mm. And man, I get to experience an acceptance and a community with other brothers and sisters in Jesus and through Jesus that, man, I wish that they could actually experience. You see how that shifts from you're not following the rules. And so that, you know, anger or shame uh, or pride shifts to love and man, I wish that they could experience the truth and that the truth would set them free as well. Very different perspective to have. Sure, it's going to make you pray for them. Yeah. Instead of sitting there going... (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, One of them seeks their good. The other one is is still about me. Mm. So I think at the core of it, when we think about truth, let's ask Jesus for more of him. Where are you seeking truth? Where do you find excitement and curiosity and joy as you come to a fuller understanding of the the God who loves you and a fuller understanding of the life he has designed for you? Uh, spend some time, you know, thinking about that piece of it, you know, that it's not just those principles on a piece of paper and it's not totally unknowable. It's, it's there in Jesus. So spend some time. Go to the Gospels and just read about him. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish all of us followers of Jesus could just spend so much more time in the gospels mm. actually following our Lord and being more <laughs> like imagine him. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Um so that would be the challenge and I think that wraps it up for It does. This topic. Brandon, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, Friends, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. We'll be back next time with another topic here on Found. Have a great week. The same hands that held me when I was made. The same hands that wrote my story of grace. The same hands that rolled the stone from the grave. Those hands I hold in my world. Those hands I hold in my world.